again, this reality of Mary being with us in those two special ways, one as intercessor and secondly as teacher. And so, um, again, just the importance of having Mary with us as we enter into the celebration of the Mass, you know, that source and summit of our faith, which is the, uh, I guess the most, not I guess, it is, the most profound experience of God that any of us, any of us can have this side of heaven. You know, is, is that reality of entering into the celebration of the Mass and really uh, understanding and experiencing and, and knowing what is happening in the midst. Because part of, what, part of what we experience is all of us see with veiled eyes, in a sense. There's so much more that goes on in the celebration of Mass that we just simply are not able to see. Uh, more appropriately, I think, not permitted to see out of God's love for us. Because the Lord knows that if we were, in fact, to see what is really taking place, it would be too much for us. It would be like brain overload just because of the glory of God that shines before us. And so out of his love for us, he veils. He makes it less, uh, less visible, but still such that we can understand and appreciate some of what, uh, what the mystery is is taking place in the midst of us. And so as we go forward to meet God in this most profound union, where we literally are lifted up into heaven and then God gives his own flesh and blood to us and unites us physically to himself. As we enter into that union, again, we're struck uh, with that humility. Uh, That's where that, that fruit of Mary's humility that she's been preparing in our hearts, we realize that we're not really worthy to be there. None of, us, none of us are worthy, none of us are deserving uh, as such of being in the presence of God. It's something that he grants us out of his love, out of his pardon, by virtues and the merits of Christ our Lord. And so none of us are worthy to be there. And yet, we're invited. The Lord extends that invitation and really longs for us to be there, unworthy though we may be, to show us his love. And to help us experience that, to help us to receive that gift of God's love there in the midst, we need our Blessed Mother. We need her to be there with us, to intercede for us in our unworthiness, to teach us in our inability to see clearly. We need her to be with us by our side, holding our hand, gently guiding us along the path through the mysteries that we celebrate. Right there in the midst. Of course, we begin with that longing, that Advent longing of Mary uh, desiring our Lord to come into the midst, and that longing for us to see God coming into our own presence and in word and in sacrament, and then ultimately to be united to that word and sacrament in Holy Communion and sent out into the world. Adrian von Speyer, 
still questioning the last name, but eventually, hopefully, I'll get some clarity on that at some point. Um, she had a beautiful, a beautiful quote on this reality. She says, the beginning of Mass is a kind of embodied expectation and pregnancy of the church in union with the mother. Here, more than anywhere else, the whole longing of the ecclesia of the church for her Lord becomes concentrated. Again, that reality of as we come, as we enter into the door, and as we go and, and reverence our Lord and prepare for the Mass to begin, the whole church is preparing. The whole church is longing for God to come in the midst, ideally. Hopefully we're not all rushing in and fighting elbow room to be able to get a seat, right? You know, but the value of getting there and experiencing as a church, as the whole community, whether all of us realize it or not, are longing communally for God's presence in the midst, longing for Him to come in that simple bread and wine. Longing for his presence. And so as we long for Christ to come in the midst of us, and as Christ himself longs for us to go, we need Mary to help us with that union. As always, St. Louis de Montfort's thing was to Jesus through Mary. Our ultimate goal is union with Christ and with the Blessed Trinity. But it's by union through Mary. And so we turn to the Blessed Mother and we ask and we seek for her to prepare the way for us, to prepare that path of union. Again, Adrian has the beautiful quote that says uh, that she, Mary, uh, makes the link between the sinner and her son. She does not place herself between the two as a third party who obscures the sight of the son. Rather, she clears everything out of the way which could hinder that sight. And so often we hear during the season of John the Baptist, I am the one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, you know, calling us to prepare for God's coming, to prepare for, uh, for his coming in the midst, in a sense. And yet we realize that it is Mary who prepares us. We prepare, certainly, but it's by Mary's hand. Because Mary comes and steps in the midst in between the Lord and us and intercedes for us. And as that loving mother begins to clear everything else away, preparing that path, again, that, that visible, uh, the visible sign of spreading the thorns out of the way, moving the rocks, making a clear path so that our union with God is much easier, much more quickly and much more, uh, I guess, perfectly connected in you know, the way of the way of the Blessed Mother bringing us to our Lord. And so she prepares the way for us. She she goes before us and cleans all of these things out of the way as we begin that celebration in the Mass, as we begin to enter into the great mystery of taking place. We know we begin always in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have the greeting right at the beginning. 
And then the confidior, I confess. It's usually it's kind of the, the default um, the default form. I think it's important to be able to realize that Mary is with us even at the various parts of the Mass. Certainly we name her a few times in the Confidior if we use that particular rite um, during the Eucharistic prayer. If it's a Feast of Mary, she'll be in the other uh, prayers of the day, but also in the Creed uh, on, on Sundays and, and feasts or solemnities. And so we recognize Mary with us in the midst. And so we begin with that great confidior, that confession of our unworthiness, our, our lack of deserving in a certain sense, what great mystery is about to take place in front of us. And so we go before God and we go before the community and before the whole church as a whole and admit our unworthiness and pray that the Blessed Mother all the angels and saints, you my brothers and sisters, would pray for me to the Lord our God. Right? And so it's important to realize that Mary is first in that list. Because it is Mary's prayer who is ultimately the most powerful. Um, you know, there's uh, different types of kind of devotion to the saints. You know, to God we owe the worship, uh, true worship of Divinity, I believe the term is latria, or latria to God. To the saints, there's dulia, means a praise, high praise, honoring, if you will. To the Blessed Mother, we have hyperdulia, <coughs> highest praise. And so she is the highest praise that we can give. Also cool, St. Joseph gets protodulia, which is First praise after Mary. <laughs> so I guess he gets a nice, a nice honorary title in second place. Um, you know, but the theology of the church comes out in the prayer. As we turn, you know, we confess to God, and then we pray to the Blessed Mother, Hyperdulia, all the angels and saints, Medulia, and you, my brothers and sisters, all of us who are still working out our salvation. It's that reality of prayer, intercession of the mother, lifting us up. So from there, as the mother is with us in the confession of our sins, and with us to receive that confirmation of God's love for us, even in that unworthiness, she's there with us in, in, that, uh, in those beautiful prayers. And then our hearts and our bodies... Rest for a moment as we listen to God's word. And there, I think it's appropriate to, um, to have the attitude of the Blessed Mother at the Annunciation. As the angel Gabriel comes with a message from God and speaks and says, This is, this is my will for you. And she kind of ponders it. How, how can this be? How is this happening? You know, it wasn't a question of doubt. It was a question of curiosity. Curiosity. How is it going to happen? I have faith, but what's it going to, how is this going to be? I mean, you know, I'm a consecrated virgin. How am I going to have a kid? What's this going to be like? And so she ponders that, and she 
allows that question to sit in our heart. And I think it's important for us to be able to also to respond the same way sometimes. As God speaks to us through the scriptures, speaks to us words that maybe pierce our heart, maybe touch us in some special way, it seems as if God has spoken it personally to us in that moment. It's for us to go, okay, how has this happened? How shall this be? And to allow ourselves to kind of ponder that and to sit with it and allow the words to kind of resonate in our heart as the Blessed Mother expressed that, that curiosity and yet the faith in hearing the angel, angel Gabriel's message to her. And then secondly, of course, hearing the message and hearing how the Spirit would come upon her and she'd be, um, she would conceive the Son of God. Be it done to me according to your word. I am your handmaid. Is to be able to take the words that are spoken to us in the Mass and the Scriptures, which are truly the word of God, to be able to say, yes, be it done to me. As you're speaking right now, as you're speaking these words from the scriptures that happened 2,000 plus years ago, I know, Lord, that you're also speaking to me here in this moment. And to your call, to your challenge, to your whatever the scriptures speak to our hearts, to that I say, yes, your will be done. And ultimately, thinking long-term, Mary goes out and visits Elizabeth. So she received God's word. She says yes, conceives the Lord, and then is compelled by the presence of God, by the mission of God, by the message of God, to be able to reach out to others and spread that word. She know you go. She goes out to Elizabeth. John the Baptist immediately recognizes the Lord in the midst. Saint Elizabeth recognizes the Lord in the midst, and she cries out, "How am I? You know, how is it that the mother of the Lord comes to me, recognizing that the Lord is there in the midst?" In the same way, in our own lives, we have that challenge to be able to take the scriptures that are spoken to us in the celebration of the Mass to allow them to enter into our hearts, to be able to be conceived in a certain sense in our souls and to begin to grow and bear fruit as we go out into the midst of the world that others might also know that word through us, often by our actions rather than by our words. Mm-hmm. And so it's that reality of allowing Mary to be with us as the scriptures are read to be with us and to prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, and to prepare our lips to always speak the gospel. I think that's one of the beautiful little symbols of the three crosses. You know, Lord, purify my mind. You know, may the gospel be on my lips. May it always rest in my heart. Is that the beautiful symbolism of Mary is with us in the midst of that, praying that same prayer for us. May it always be in your mind. May it always be on your lips. May it always rest in your heart. Just as that word of God rested in my own womb, may it also rest and bear fruit in your life. The same way Mary with us in the midst. 
The offertory is one of my favorite parts of the Mass. It's the one the most neglected in the normal parish because you got the functional thing, you got to pass the baskets and bring the vessels to the altar. You know, all these things going on to distract us from what's taking place, namely that we're offering everything we have to God. Our whole life, our whole soul, every sorrow, every joy, every everything we're offering to God. And as we hear so clearly from St. Louis de Montfort, we offer it to God through the hands of the Blessed Mother. And so all of these things that are on our heart, we give to God through her. Children who have fallen away from the faith, family members who have fallen away from the faith, sorrows of things that have happened in our own lives, illness, offered up to God through the hands of our mother. Joys, rejoicing, blessings that have happened, things that have, the Lord has anointed things in our life. Lift that up, give that to God. Everything, every single moment of our day is to be lifted up to God because in the same way that God transforms simple bread and wine into his flesh and his blood in a miraculous manner, God also desires to change all the, uh, the things that happen in our life. He desires for us to give them to him through the Blessed Mother's hands and to transform them in the exact same way that grace might come out of that. We bring bread and wine, it's transformed, and we receive grace. We give God everything that happens in our lives. He transforms it, and we receive grace. That's what the offertory is about. That's what the Eucharist is about. Not entirely, but it's very much a large part. Is our offering of ourselves is shown through the bread and the wine, through the passing of the basket, this sort of thing. But what's ultimately taking place is offering of ourselves in that reality. As we go through the offertory, prepare, you know, prepare the gifts, and then we have you know, the, the prayers and the, the preface that prepare us to enter into the celebration of the Eucharist, that prepare us to enter into the part of the Mass where God's flesh truly becomes present right before our very eyes. And so um, you may have noticed the prefaces um, always at the end it's and now we join with the angels and the saints in praising your glory or now you know with thrones and dominions and principalities and powers and all the hosts of the powers of heaven which I absolutely love because it reminds us that angels are actually real right? Um, you know that we're being lifted up with them, we sing, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. With them, we sing it. And it's not like they're kind of over there doing their thing, and we're kind of over here doing our thing, and it's like, yeah, we're kind of like, we're kind of united together. It's not really reality. With them means with them. We're united actually in that moment. Here's the fun part of the Mass, where everybody's brain starts to just go, uh, what? Because to try to understand that is beyond any of us. I, I, I wish I could understand it, but it's too much to grasp. But again, kind of in a very 
a physical way. Um, the event of the cross, the event of the, of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, because he is God, is outside of time. God is above time. He's beyond all time. And when God came in time, it's like he copy and pasted something that happened in history and then pasted it into heaven so that it never ends. Does that make sense? That's the best that's one of the best images that I can think of myself as a computer a computer thing. Um, is God copies something because it happened two thousand years ago, right? And yet in a mysterious way when we enter into the Mass, we're celebrating at that moment the mystery of the crucifixion. That is the crucifixion right there on the very altar. And so my best way of understanding that is like God copied it and we just kind of get lifted up into it. We kind of get... We, when we come into the church, it's like there's a mystical, uh, a mystical elevator that we don't realize it, but we're actually, the whole church is lifted up into heaven, into that great mystery of the sacrifice of the cross of God, the cross of our Lord. And as that's happening in heaven, all the angels and saints, all around it, and as we're brought up into that presence of God, we too are in the midst of the heavenly angels and all the saints. I think that's one of the most beautiful things to contemplate is, again, that reality that although the things are veiled, although we can't see it, reality, with the eyes of faith, angels and saints are all around us, especially in the Mass. It's like if we could see with the eyes of God, there wouldn't be a spot in the church that would be empty because there are so many there with us in the midst of that celebration friends and family who have gone before us, which I find incredibly comforting, that I could be with them in that moment. All the angels, all the saints, and the Blessed Mother, most especially, right there with us, singing that hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. I don't intend to talk about myself. I don't I don't want to, um, but there was an experience I had the other day that, granted, I'm only six months a priest, so I don't have that much experience with things, um, but it was something I had never felt before, even before ordination, is it was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception last Thursday, and I saw Miracle of God. We forgot to turn on the baptismal font which always has a nice little water noise in the background. And then we forgot to turn on the air conditioner, which always has a nice hum in the background. So while it was a little warm in church towards the end of Mass, it was absolutely silent. I had never experienced that celebrating Mass before. Absolute silence. It's like not even kids were crying. It was a miracle in itself. <laughs> but you know, but it was just the silence of what was taking place, and it was it was tangible. You 
could feel something was happening in the celebration. And as they were, they were singing the memorial acclamation, uh, you know, right after, right after the consecration had taken place, and I was standing there in the midst of God, and I felt arms wrap around, wrap around me like somebody walked up behind me and just did like this. And I was just standing there contemplating all of this, going, the saints and the angels are all over the place. And somebody just gave me a hug. And like, I, try, I, like, it was, I had to do everything in my, in my power not to start crying at that moment, just to the beauty of that realization of knowing with my heart what was taking place. The Blessed Mother is right there next to me. As a priest, it, it shocks me over and over to realize that if this is the altar of sacrifice, if this is the cross of Christ, I've got the Blessed Mother and St. John standing on either side of me. My mind doesn't understand that when I'm celebrating Mass. It's like, no, Brent, you can't think about that right now. You will, you'll pass out. I was like, you know, like, don't think that hard about it. You know what I mean? Because it's, but just that reality, you know, of, of the closeness of the angels and the saints with us in the celebration, especially the Blessed Mother. I'm kind of dwelling on this because... It's, the reality is she is actually with us. She's there with us in that moment. Not just kind of spiritually with us, not just kind of, but she is actually truly, really with us. We just don't have the eyes to see. So as the consecration is taking place, as we're gazing upon simple bread and wine, Realizing it's the cross of our Lord, realize also that we are there in the midst with our mother, gazing upon her son. To let our hearts ponder that. To ponder what's going on in the heart of Mary right now. Certainly maybe the sorrow, the sorrow from the event of the crucifixion, but also in heaven, the joy of knowing what that crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection and ascension have brought us. That is because of that event that all of those other saints are gathered around the altar with us and that we are there to be in the midst of them. It is because of that crucifixion that all these things happen. And so while she has that sorrow, she also rejoices. Just like as she did when Simeon came to her and said, your heart too will be pierced joy and yet sorrow in that celebration. I'm going to linger too too long on this, but one of the things that I'm that I really like about the, the new translation is in Eucharistic prayer too, is that fun little phrase of Send your spirit down like the dewfall. That kind of makes you think a bit. Like the dewfall. I've never seen the dewfall. I just see the result of what happens afterwards, right? And so, you know, 
we kind of think about that. And it's something mysterious and yet silent that you can't tell even happened, except by the after effect. Again, I can't watch the dewfall, but I can tell you when it's happened. And the same thing as the Blessed Mother at her Annunciation. As the Spirit came upon her, you couldn't tell with your eyes. And yet, God had entered into the world in human flesh. <clears throat> in that same way, <clears throat> excuse me, as the dewfall falls in silence, and the celebration of the Mass, as the priest prays the, the prayers, the, the epiclesis, Lord, send down your spirit in whichever way a particular prayer, Eucharistic prayer, says it. Lord, send down your spirit. The spirit is descending in silence. We can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't point it out. And yet it's happening silently in the midst. And just as the Blessed Mother had the spirit descend upon her and God miraculously took on human flesh in the same way in the consecration as the priest says, for this is my body, for this is my blood. In the same way, the spirit invisibly, intangibly, silently descends and transforms right before our eyes although our eyes cannot even tell the difference, the substance in front of us. And the same as at the Annunciation, God is here, and no one knows unless they have the eyes of faith, unless their heart lets them know. And we cannot have the eyes of faith unless the Blessed Mother, our greatest teacher, shows us all these things that are taking place. Because it's Mary who with us in the silence of that consecration goes, look, that's my son right there in the midst. And she quietly points to us as her little children, points out her son who has come once again as he did in her. He comes in the midst of church once more in that silent, quiet, miraculous way. And so continuing on from there, we have the great the great gift of communion. That kind of the height of, of all of these things that have taken place, all these miracles that have happened right before our eyes that our eyes are not able to see, but our hearts are able to know. We receive God in what appears to be bread and wine. And again, the reality of unworthiness and being prepared. Uh, I don't have the exact quote, but um, Adrian von Speyer uh, was speaking about this reality of, of can we ever really be fully prepared? Can we ever really be 
open to what's happening in the midst of us, to be open to what we're about to receive. Are we really fully open? And she just kind of reflected on that question for a little bit. I think it's a beautiful thing to ask is, is because as we come forward, certainly we can prepare all sorts of things in our heart. And yet, I don't know about you, but for me, as communion time is coming around, now rather than things going around, unfortunately, in my head, I've got, you know, is everybody here to distribute communion? Is everybody in their proper spots? Do we have all the number of bowls to distribute? And, da, da, da. and it's easy for me and possibly you know, for you as well, with the things going on in your, in your lives, in your hearts, in your, in your minds, in the midst of the world, it's easy to have all these things kind of going on in our head as we're preparing. And so the need for our Blessed Mother is especially strong at that point. St. Louis de Montfort speaks of inviting Mary into our hearts to receive communion in us, um, I think in one of, uh, I think it was in True Devotion, he spoke of, of praying a little prayer of, of, you know, like, Mary, I am thine, and all I have is thine. Uh, to be able to, to speak that to the Blessed Mother as we're preparing to go to communion and to invite our Mother to come into our heart. And again, thinking in images, but it's like, we're one bowl. We're pretty clean. We're pretty well prepared to receive God. But Mary's like a perfect, immaculate bowl that comes inside and sets in us. And then she receives God perfectly and distributes the grace to us. Because Mary is totally free from sin, because Mary is perpetually prepared for God's coming, because Mary is perpetually willing to be able to put into action whatever the Lord desires, she is the most perfect recipient of God. She's the most perfect recipient of our Lord. And so to have her come in our heart and to receive the Lord herself in us and to give us the grace, one, to prepare us, and then two, to give us the grace the Lord desires through her hands as a mother can. It's a wonderful blessing. And so, uh, again, just that reality of receiving our Lord into our own flesh and then ultimately being able for a few short moments to marvel at that mystery, the same as Mary had the pleasure for doing for nine full months of how is it that I am worthy that God should come into my own flesh? And to simply... Allow that to sit in our hearts and to rejoice at God's mercy, to rejoice in that presence. I'll give you a 30-second clip of my homily this weekend. So I talked about what does it mean to rejoice. Rejoicing, uh, it seemed to me, uh, and kind of in my reflections, uh, it seemed that rejoicing isn't something that, that we personally do as much as it is our soul cries out of us. Our soul, something our soul does, it just pours out love. And it does so in response to God coming in the midst of us, unworthy though we may be. Like St. John spoke of, 
being unworthy to untie the strap on the sandals of our Lord, one of the lowliest of tasks. He realized that in his humility, that he's not worthy at all to do so. And yet, he does much more. He baptizes the Lord much more than taking off his shoes. And yet in the same way, whenever we realize our unworthiness, when we realize that we're not deserving necessarily of God to do these great things in us, and yet he does so anyway, and yet he still gives us his flesh and blood, and yet he still gives us tons of graces right there in the celebration. How can our souls not rejoice? Our soul has to rejoice because it's that great mystery of God of though I am unworthy, God has blessed me beyond all measure. And so our heart rejoices. The same as Mary, the same as Isaiah did, the same as so many who throughout the, throughout the ages, even down to our own day, pour out words of rejoicing that are crying out of our soul. And so it would be nice to go ahead and put the pause there and continue on a little bit. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I, I remember in, in before communion, we used to say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the words and I shall be healed. And I, as a convert, I remember thinking, okay, this is the point in time when I'm supposed to <coughs> reflect all the things I've done that maybe I didn't confess. And not to say that it brought shame, but it brought reflection. And the changes that have been made now, say, enter into my heart. Mm-hmm. And to me, that so fulfills everything that you've spoken about. So that now it's more of a rejoicing yeah. to, to, to take in the, the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, that, the passage that we, the, the words that we use at Mass are uh, referring to the scripture story where the, the Roman centurion comes to the Lord uh, and, and asks that he come to his house and heal. I think it was, was it a son or was it a servant? He said, a servant. Um, and so he you know, asks him, and, and Jesus is like, okay, I'll come. And he says, no, you have authority and you can do it. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and he'll be healed. And so their faith that God has the authority to transform and change anything in our hearts, faith that God can and will do it, humility in recognizing our state, uh, that we are not worthy, and yet the ultimate reality is that God does come, and it leads us to that rejoicing. So, absolutely right. I mean, just the... Connecting it with the scriptures and then kind of looking at, at our place in the Mass uh, in that celebration certainly kind of brings out all of these various aspects. That's why I love the new translation. Lots of little things here and there, like the dew fall. You're like, oh, yeah, just the dew fall. But there's so much. Is that in the Second yeah. Eucharistic? I believe it's in the Second Eucharistic. Mm-hmm. And spell the name of. Andrea, Bonnie? Uh, Adrian is A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, and Bon Spire is V-O-N space S-P-E-Y-R. What was the name of her book on the P-N? Handmaid of the Lord. Oh, 